Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and tonight I am joined by the Locked On Cavs duo of Chris Manning and Evan Damarell. How are you doing, Chris? I'm I'm great. Um, you know, <laughs> we just watched a very interesting basketball game in a lot of ways, um, and it's been a it's fun. It's fun, and it's also just fun to do some collabs instead of just you know talking to Evan about his 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 stocks all the time. How are you doing, Evan? I'm great. Um, my AMC stock's doing pretty well. AMC's had a 301.21% growth today, which is incredible. Um, I have so many regrets for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But I'm other so than sorry. that, I, I'm good. Um, we had a fun session for those who are joining us here uh, over on our show, Locked on Cavs with Laz. It was a good time talking about the Cavs, the Pistons, and the sad state of their power forwards. But all things considered, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, okay. you know, speaking of Evan making money, I was going to congratulate you guys on getting bought this morning. I saw that. It's big news. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Um, I'll be honest, Chris and I had Zurich. We kind of have an idea about maybe some advertisers coming up. And last time we had a big, like, quote unquote, town hall Zoom conference with David Locke, the owner of the network, and then voice of the Utah radio, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. There we go. Um, it was just about a, it was with our Bet Online deal, which great sponsor for Locked On Cavs. Uh, check out Bet Online, use code Locked On for a sweet <laughs> welcome bonus. But, um, no, this was really exciting. Uh, no, we've done some work with Tegna for a while. They work with a local Cleveland station, WKYC. We've been doing videos with them for a couple of months now, Chris. And, um, yeah, no, it's it's really cool. It's uh, We have listeners who reach out and say, like, hey, I saw you guys on the news and I wanted to check you out. So it's it's just a new way to integrate ourselves. And it's exciting to see where we're headed. Yeah, despite my bad tweets, you know, we've we've made it. Yeah, I, I have to be like really buttoned up. Like the joke is on WKYC, I'm a lot more serious and like stern. And then if we usually do like a follow up episode like the following day. I'm like, hey, if you're checking us out after WKYC, I'm actually not that uptight about everything. So <laughs> come check us out here. And I'm a lot more loose and a lot more fun. Um, it's it's different when the camera isn't on. No, for sure. Like I've never done a TV hit. I've never like hit that particular milestone. So you're ahead of me in that regard. But like, yeah, if I was going to be on TV, I would definitely like, you know, put on one of the nice shirts I haven't had to wear in nine months and like speak in very short sentences and say everything very clearly and do all that stuff. Cause that sounds terrifying if I'm being perfectly honest. Oh, it absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, the people that have to do that, like for their, like, like actual television, like, I don't, I don't know how you do it, you know? Like it'd be no. you're a real pro if you can do it. That's actually what the, this is actually just Detroit um, versus TV production. Um, that's where we're at. That's what this <laughs> podcast is now. We've hijacked. Well, I mean, like speaking of things that are terrifying, though, like Colin Sexton had almost 30 oh. points tonight. Like he's averaging. He's I put up like 35 and five, basically, like single handedly put the team on his back to beat the uh, new look Brooklyn Nets the other night. Like what what? What's the major thing that's different, Evan, in in Colin Sexton's game this year? Well, I think it's just the fact that he's so hyper-obsessed about being efficient. And um, I'll tease this on here, not on my own show, but I'm actually working on a story with Colin right now. And um, his big thing is he it's kind of a cheesy cliche, but he lives by the mantra of move with a purpose. And he explained to me a little bit saying, like, every time I'm out there on the floor, every single action I take has to have some type of purpose. And I want the rest of my team to do that as well. But like... Like he's so obsessed with being an efficient player offensively and he's still not the best defensively, but he had a nice steal tonight against Detroit that resulted in a good play, but his vision's improving a a lot as well. And the fact that he's just self-aware, the fact that, that he is a bit of a flawed player, he's accepted the fact that he is a bit of a flawed player and he's actively working on those flaws and blemishes to smooth them out a little bit helps. And He's just hell bent and determined to prove everybody wrong every step of the way. So people saying he's not going to make the playoffs is just going to make him try even harder to try and be a playoff threat and just be like a legitimate player. And yeah, like you said, that, that game against the Nets was a bit of a coming out party on the national stage. And, but it's still cool that he's still humble about it too. Like he puts up 42 points in, ruins the Brooklyn Nets big three debut and when I asked him about it he'd rather talk about how he was excited to play with Torian Prince and Jared Allen for the first time so he's just a good kid overall and the Cavs have tapped him as a franchise cornerstone and a cultural leader um and yeah no his star is rising just the fact that he's kind of exceeded every single expectation up to this point and he continues to do so is I don't really know what his ceiling is like 
I, for a while, wanted to cage him in as a six-man just because of his limited vision and playmaking, but that's starting to get a little bit better with, weirdly enough, better players playing alongside him, and such as Prince, Allen, Windler, everybody. Like, there's, that, you, were, like, you were almost going to say Andre Drummond. I heard it. You were almost going to say Andre Drummond, weren't you? I was almost going to, but Dre is... Um, We'll talk about him, but yeah, um, no, Sexton's just kind of exceeded all of our expectations. I was super down on the pick for a while. Some people know it's a little personal just because I was a Kyrie guy for a while too. And no, he's just really just kind of blown me away and he's exciting. Like he pops whenever you watch him play just because of how fast and explosive he is and just kind of watching him grow. And after sitting through two, three seasons of it is great. And he also shared it. He's like, I'm sick of losing. So I think he's just determined to try and make the Cavs a winner every single night. He, he fascinates me because I think he's always been good, but I don't know. I think this leap that he's making is like kind of incredible. Um, I didn't know he had like this level in him and we, we got to see if he can sustain it, you know, but like he's doing something really interesting. And like, I, the work ethic stuff with him, like I know it's kind of like a joke, among in Cavs Twitter, but I think it's like really real. Um, oh, it's it, it felt like such a tired cliche for the longest time, but like no, it's real. This kid works his ass off to be a better player every single day. He's super impressive in that way, and I I don't think I ever could have thought he had that in him in a lot of ways in terms to getting where he is. But like the work ethic helps him get there. And look, I I also think that you know you can debate on like how much like how sustainable it is like and if you can like let this um remain kind of going forward and indefinitely in some ways but like i i truly think that this Cavs team and and what they're doing now is as normal as they've been in a long time Mm -hmm. and with jb bickerstaff and with kobe remaining in charge and just kind of the moves they're making it's about as normal as i feel like the Cavs have been like in my lifetime in a lot of ways since I was born in 93. And like, I, you know, let's say my cognizant fan years is like around 2003, LeBron's arrival to now, um, or fandom into covering the team, I should say. And you don't have any cognizant memories before you're 10 years old. A lot of, lot of, lot of mushrooms. Christopher, I don't get We need to have a chat off air. You'll talk to my father. Um, First, you didn't watch SpongeBob as a kid. Now this, <laughs> I was really into Chris Berman. Um, so that, no. that sounds like a painful experience all its own. Honestly. Look, man, like when I was a kid, I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to be an ESPN and talk about sports like Chris Berman. Now I'm like, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> but like, no, like I, I think like in terms of like being like an aware fan of like what the team was, I think like I like I remember like reading about them, you know, like the first time LeBron's around and it's like even then it was like I was like, OK, like they don't we don't no one knows what he's going to do. Is it going to stay like I remember thinking because he like filed the paperwork to change his jersey number. I'm like, OK. He's 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 got to stay if he's going through the effort to do that. Even though he definitely did do that himself, you know. Like at the time, I was like, "Oh, LeBron definitely did this himself." Um, but like now, I, th- I think we're looking at it, and it's like, okay, this is a team that actually has a vision. Like they didn't, they're not forcing anything. They're not making themselves rush to the playoffs like they did, like with Earl Clark and Andrew Bynum and Jared Jack that one summer uh, during the, the the Kyrie run. Like this is a team that seems to have a plan, and that's like frankly just encouraging. And I think for someone like Sexton that helps him elevate, right? Like, like I think he might've had a good NBA career. Otherwise, I think like most guys that are good, just sort of will figure it out. But I do think like you're able to get the most out of a guy like him when you get into a situation where like he set up to succeed. And I, I think he, he really benefits that, that, that they finally got into that point. And, um, you know, I, I, there's something to that. Even if JB is not the most inventive coach in the world, like he knows what he's doing. And there, there's a lot of value to that when like you, you had John Beeline before. As I say, yeah, there's a lot of JBs we we could be talking about, but I I legit wanted to ask about the culture though because that seems to be something that like even as an outsider looking in, like I can see that they've placed a higher priority like on that, um, and I'm wondering how well, it became crystal clear when they traded Kevin Porter Jr. Like they had no hesitation doing that, and that's a guy they viewed as a franchise cornerstone because they wanted to preserve that culture. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I mean like that's a guy they traded for, right? Yeah. Like, but the the Pistons made that pick, and Cleveland was was really interested in him at first. Um, I'm 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 wondering. I guess I just want to ask you guys like how how well that vision is being implemented, right? Like we we see the trade for Jared Allen and Torian Prince, right? Like how do those guys fit into the culture? We see the I like I from the outside like see the elevation of a guy like Larry Nance into kind of a face of the franchise when classically 
Like Larry Nance is not a dude who's normally the the face of your franchise, but it seems to be it seems to be working for them. And like I want to ask about it because I want the Pistons to to emulate it like somewhere down the line. It's interesting. Um, we actually talked about this with Lindsey Gottlieb and JB at one point. Um, again, it's a little bit of a tired cliche with Heat culture, but they look at guys like Miami who are really just locked in culturally from one through fifteen, and that's kind of what they kind of try to emulate a little bit. But like you said having Larry Nance just be a leader and kind of become the face of the franchise. A lot of it came with his dad being such a legacy player with the team, of course, but him like actively embracing the community and really just getting the fan base overall. Like Larry Nance is one of the most normal people. I think you can interact with in like an NBA locker room. Like, he likes to play football manager. He likes to watch the Browns on Sunday. He likes to play video games and just hang out with his wife and his family and his friends. Like he's just a normal dude. And I think being from here, it just really resonates with the fan base and also really resonates with this team. But I think winning helps a lot too. Uh, the Cavs are nine and nine as of beating the Pistons and they are looking like a competent team defensively. They're a little bit lackluster offensively to start just because of all the injuries. But no, I think winning helps a lot. I think JB just being a guy that every single player on this roster respects and gets along with compared to Bayline, like it's a night and day difference to where the Cavs were at last year. And like, I'm not going on a Tums festival where I'm chucking half a bottle just for the heartburn that this team gets me from stressing me out from just all the BS in the news. But it's been a very chill season for the Cavs. And I think that's just what they need is you need to have a quiet season where there's stability and structure and they finally found it. And, it just you have to kind of hit on the players too in the draft like the Cavs mantra like they go for high upside players but also they're just like workaholics and players that are just good kids as well like Isaac Okoro and Colin Sexton are perfect examples of this and so is Darius Garland and Dylan Windler who Windler's been a huge surprise when he's been playing for Cleveland too like the Cavs clearly have an archetype archetype for their players where they will want them to stay long term archetype whatever (laughs) Mr. Wordsmith over here but um, no, that's just kind of what the Cavs are building. And to be honest, the Pistons are kind of starting at square one. Still, they have Seku, they have Killian Hayes, who I like a lot as a player. Sadiq Bay was a good pickup. I like Jeremy Grant a lot too, but the Pistons just are kind of figuring it out. And I think they can get there eventually. It's just slowly accumulating players and just building that culture from within and then letting it radiate. Cause like, let's be honest, two years or yeah, in his rookie season, like half his teammates said Colin Sexton couldn't play. And now look, he's considered the best player on the team and everybody loves him. And they view him as a leader. Like it, it takes time. It's that's okay. just the thing. Cause like, if you told me three years ago, Colin Sexton would be so beloved. I would have called you a liar because his name was getting dragged in the media, like on a yeah, nightly basis. I, I had legitimately forgotten about Kevin love basically saying like, yeah, we think this kid sucks. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of hard. <laughs> that's a, that's a far, a, that's a long way for him to come, and I think he's deserved all of it. But Chris, I wanted to ask you about how how is Kevin Love like fitting into that equation? Because like this culture, this newfound culture, is kind of something that the the front office has like worked really hard to establish over the last couple of years. Kevin Love is like this weird like remnant of the like glory days of the Cleveland Cavaliers that have nothing to do with the product on the floor right now. But he's still here, but he's not playing but he's still here. So how, how's Kevin Love kind of fitting in like culturally with the team the Cavs are building? Uh, it's a little hard to know um, because he, he just isn't a, like, we just haven't heard from him in a while. And like the body length, I think like the vibe around him is better. Like, I don't think like he's telling Kobe Altman, like he's really rich. So just find him anymore. <laughs> so that's a legendary <laughs> quote. Like, Oh man, that's great. Um, like I make enough money. Go ahead and find me. I, I, I wish I could say that to my boss. Like just, Literally just slapping myself off like my cojones on the table saying that kind of move. Kevin Love, Marxist hero. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Me, Kevin Love, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just leading the revolution. uh, Tax the rich, folks. I... Evan, you know my you know my takes on this, but I know. Um, Sorry, Evan. Evan, Evan no, Evan, that does not. Ne- never mind. I'm not doing this. Um, we we've got enough bad reviews. I don't tell people to wear a mask. That uh, uh, good times. 2020. What a country. What a world. But um, uh, I, I Kevin's interesting because like I'm I I think like in 
a perfect world. Like he could really help the Cavs. Like I let's tell me if you disagree with this, but like I watch I watch this game and I watch every like when I watch every Cavs game, I'm like, okay, the Cavs need a dude who can just like shoot threes. <laughs> they actively need like a guy who's going to space and Kevin's like the, the obvious fix for that. And he's going to rebound. And he's going to help with passing. And like the defense was always going to return to normal. And I think the offensive upside with him in the lineup is, is worth the, some of the defensive issues you're going to have. I think that's just the way the league works. That's the kind of what the team sort of needs. He's going to help Colin. Like, um, you know, when you ask about like the offense right now, like one of the things that like you can see on tape and people will tell you is like, there's sets they don't run because Kevin's not there. Um, Evan, Evan, if you the double drag set, double drag set is like this thing that they like, it's not like anything super unique, but like they ran it a lot in the preseason and it like doesn't work when you don't have a big who can pop. And Kevin's the guy who can do that. It's the one big, even though Larry is like a good three point shooter now, like any pick and pop, any double drag, anything where you want a big to space, like, like Kevin Kevin's the only one who can do that. And I think they need him as much as like he needs them to help him kind of rebuild his value if he wants to go elsewhere. Um, I also do think like I, I would love to get like there's a lot of a lot of stuff about 2018 in particular when he signs the extension. Ty Lue is still around. Kevin gets hurt in the first gets hurt in the preseason, but is like clearly like they're running stuff through him in a way that they're just, that they, that they had never before um, the little bit he was healthy. And then he's basically done for the year in a lot of ways. Like that season's a wash for him. Ty's gone. Larry drew talks about how, like he doesn't know if he wants to coach basketball anymore because that team was so bad. And like the, the whole thing was so joyless. Um, do you like the Cavs literally had to have a press conference before they'd figured out what Larry's contract situation was. And they were calling him the voice of the team. This was like the Cavs like two years ago. It's it's utterly insane. Um, but like I, I think Kevin is in this spot where it's like you're hoping he can come back and like contribute and rebuild. And like I also just it seems to me that he sort of understands where he's at more than he might have a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that. I, I don't think anyone exactly knows what Kevin's thinking. I have I haven't yeah. like seen an interview with him from with anyone well, that I thought thought is particularly candid in a long time. Garland, a piggyback, a piggyback ride on the bench is fun. So yeah, he, you watch him on the bench. He's like actually having fun in a way. I don't think he was before. And that's not everything, but it's like, I think he's buying in a little more. And I think JB helps more than beeline. I think that's like just a thing is like, oh, he's yeah. known JB for a long time. Um, him and John did not vibe. So there, there's that too. And yeah. I, I, I also just think it w- I think with Kevin, like, I don't know how you – I also just think when he signs that contract, he's smart enough to know that this was a possibility. Like, he has, yeah. to, he has to have understood that, like, this was a possible outcome, but you're getting well paid. And I'm, I'm all for, like, players be happy, players do what you want to do. But, like, if you're getting paid this much money, like, just chill for a minute. It's going to work itself out. You're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like he's probably got better perspective on that now. Again, I don't know that, but that would be my hunch. No, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. And you talk about the the lost season. I'd kind of forgotten about that. Or I'd memory hold it. But if but like you did kind of imagine like a world in which like Kevin Love played a similar role to the role like Bradley Beal is playing right now for Washington, where they're just like running everything through him. His stats are insane. And if you ever wanted to trade and like, hey, you could point to him and say like, hey, other teams, like you want this guy who's averaging like thirty five points a night. And it's like you could have him for the low low cost of like helping us solidify our future. And so like. You can, but the injury obviously like robbed him of that, and so like you you could understand like for him like how that'd be really frustrating to come back to, and like now you're coming back to like a situation where Larry Drew is like the the voice of the team, and that that's not amazing. What a um, weird time, man. Yeah, that 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 sounds honestly pretty weird. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Well, the whole the handling of Tyler's termination was awkward enough and Larry Drew's a nice guy and I felt bad for him but it's certainly telling the Cavs killed the desire for two coaches to never ever want to coach again like John Bayline was not having fun either and like those Cavs teams were miserable but okay like I wasn't I wasn't gonna ask about Bayline but like now I feel like I kind of have to because we've like talked about it so much Drummond could have gotten him fired a year earlier in Detroit Oh my God. Yeah, that could have happened. Jesus. Uh, but like, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, we know like Bayline is Bayline. Is he still like technically part of the front office? Is he still no. like a ghost? He out? went back to Michigan last time I checked and he just is cashing them Cavs checks. 
good good for john honestly i like, think he's like an advisor at um now i'm not sure though but like what happened how like i understand it was bad and like i don't need like a detailed description of like how bad it was but it's just like 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 what happened <laughs> like how did it get that bad beeline is by all accounts like a really intelligent dude who knows basketball really well like why couldn't he make it work at the nba level can i can i ask a follow-up to that before i i do you think it would have been like the Cavs are weird and like it was not a perfect situation for him and like none of the none of the buy-in for him exactly was was exactly there i think what you're telling me the laser etched basketballs didn't work the the beeline ball yeah the beeline ball that's when i knew that's when i knew i was that was like me talking about his basketball Oh my yeah, that uh, it all blurs together. But like, I don't think he. I also just don't think he like quite knew what he was getting into in terms of like the NBA schedule. Like he like was like control. Like mm-hmm. you can control that in college. Like even like a he more lackadaisical coach. He tried to be a dictator with the Cavs, or he literally threw a fit that the NBA wouldn't let the team practice on Christmas Day. Well, and they had a they had a thing where it was like the they they everyone's wearing like different colored. Um, like practice jerseys like and they were like green blue white red it was like a whole it was this whole thing that i've like never seen any other coach do he he tried to take the college approach to things first and it doesn't help when kevin love and i believe tristan thompson as well like tuned him out instantly and those are your two leaders and so that just trickles down to the rest of the roster yeah and that Um, didn't help and then naming plays yeah yeah they all just started deferring to jb and i think Kobe kind of saw the writing on the wall and they knew it wasn't going to last, but it's just a weird time. I'm like, I'm replaying it all in my head. He named after he named his sets after animals, which rub players the wrong way. John Payline tried to do a square peg round hole thing where he didn't try to fit the roster to his offense. He tried to, or his offense to the roster. He tried to make the roster fit to his offense. And then like, they just stopped running anything that was like actual, like it just like nothing worked basically. It was weird. But I, my, my question is basically just this, like, like you were in a position where like the piston don't could have like were linked to him at one point. Do you, do you, yes. does that ever come up for you? Like, did you ever think about that? Like that could have worked differently. Like, is it like, like, do you think that actually could have worked there? Like, do you, does that, do you, does that ever come up for you in your brain or when you've thought about it in the past? Like, did that ever make sense to you? So it's funny. Cause like I'm a Michigan state guy. And so like, I was never like, I was always pretty impressed with what Beeline did for like the program as a whole but I was more impressed with like what he did from like a recruiting perspective and you can't really recruit or like from a developmental perspective, right? With yeah. the recruits thinking. And that was like, the big appeal with him too. And Cleveland was like, Oh, we have all these young guards. John right. Balin has will be proven to, he can develop young guards. Let's put Sexton and Garland under him. And it just blew failed in spectacular fashion. Yeah. But I think is like you not knowing like how necessarily the sausage gets made with a guy like Trey Burke and, and Duncan Robinson, like not knowing that it takes like that level of di- dictatorial control over a team to help develop those guys into useful basketball players. Like, I think that's a big element of like missing knowledge in any desire to see John Beeline be like, be the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. Um, but yeah, like I, I never, I never thought it was like a realistic possibility. Like there were, I mean, like, you you guys know like there were always rumors that like Izzo would come coach the Cavs and like years later the rumors that like Izzo would come coach the Pistons right and it just like it never it never seemed feasible to me that guys that established in their respective universities guys that respect uh, that established within like their uh, respective institutions would give up that level of institutional control to coach like grown men who have much more of a say in like how they're being treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also doesn't help when Bayline was thought to be a racist after he called the players thugs when he meant to say slugs, that was sloppy. I was um, not going to bring that up, but that is like a, that's objectively hilarious. Like we can all agree that like in retrospect, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty. See, that's what I'm talking about with the culture. Like, there was never a dull moment with the Cavs over the last two years where like for all the wrong reasons, at least like when LeBron is here, the Cavs are kicking ass and taking names. And of course there was drama, but they were winning. So it didn't matter as much, but like this Cavs team was so bad the last two seasons. Like, why are you making the news? Like you guys should just kind of be irrelevant and just vanish for a year or two or three, and then kind of come back as a fun, young, scrappy team. But 
No. Apparently, this was Cleveland's plan all along, though, was to let JB kind of cook because he's young and learn behind Bayline and then take over eventually, and Bayline would retire and take on a front office role. And they quote, just quote, front office role. Yeah. On that one, like that's, 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 years. <laughs> that's how the Cavs are saving face in this situation. No, but um, it's. It's just an, it was a brutal. And the thing is, John Bailey is a nice guy. He's charismatic. He's charming. He knows how to play the media very well. Um, I did talk to Chris once about this when we were kind of getting to know each other. I'm like, if you really like transcribe a John Bailey quote, it's a whole lot of nothing. It's just a nothing of substance where he just rambles for a couple minutes. But like at the time, like he's just so nice to you. You're like, oh yeah, no, this is great. So, but it was just a mistake. And, um, Putting John Henson in the doghouse didn't help. Uh, players just kind of getting inconsistent minutes didn't help. Um, making Jordan Clarkson the wolf of the team was an interesting time, too, where he said Clarkson was going to be a three more than he was a two or a one in his system. Uh, it's just it was such a weird time. And I'm glad you didn't think it was realistic. And I'm like looking at the Pistons depth chart because I believe it was the year before, so it would have been 1819 when they hired Casey, right? Yeah, it was after Stanley uh, and he was fired, yeah. Okay, so you would have like Reggie Jackson, you'd have Langston Galloway, Stanley Johnson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. Like, there's a little bit of pressure coming into that roster just because there is a bit of an expectation to try and make the playoffs. And I don't know if John Bayline has the gumption to do that because, Chris, I'm sure as you remember, Bayline lost a preseason game to the Celtics by like 40 or 50, and it took three Cavs executives to talk him off the ledge the following day because he was he's never lost that badly in his life and they're like it bro chill it's the preseason and also Colin Sexton at one point had to say coach chill we had a full season (laughs) like he's like trying to cram all this stuff in practice and Colin's like I don't remember where Colin said this like I generally cannot it was an interview with uh somebody with Forbes I can pull it Uh, up was it Sean Devney he, yes, he it was said Sean Devaney. basically like John didn't know. Coach, we got chill. 82 games. Like, chill. That's what he said. Like, and like when your second year point guard is saying that, that's just like so telling. Like that, that's it right there. Um, I I think like so much of the NBA yeah. season, like someone is just that, you know, like I, I think that's that's obviously sort of like not exactly true, but it's like having a coach who understands what the season structure is like and how it sort of works and how to work with the guys and, and make it sort of a partnership, I think is, is really part of it. Um, it's, it's why, like, I understand, like, I, like, I don't know what to, to really what to make of Dwayne Casey. Like, I just like assume at some point, like he's probably going to get fired and like, they're going to hire someone that they're going to sell as like a, a, a cr- more creative coach or something like that just seems like the inevitability of, of what's going on there. But in terms of like helping like guys get going and like, introducing Killian to the league and, and getting Sekou Domboya continuing to grow and all and all everything they're doing there. Like I sort of don't hate a guy like Dwayne on that kind of team, you know? No, Dwayne Dwayne's been good. I mean, it's it's really interesting too, right? Because they they bring in Dwayne Casey, the you know, reigning coach of the year who got fired because LeBron embarrassed <laughs> him in a playoff series. Like no no great sin, right? Like LeBron's embarrassed a lot of people. Um but they bring him in to instantly like make the playoffs by hook or by crook. Right, like Stan Van Gundy traded for Blake Griffin to try and save his job. That didn't work. So Dwayne Casey has to make Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson work. And he does for a season, right? And he and he makes it work. They make the playoffs. And then Blake goes down and the owner decides, like, actually, like, well, you guys have been telling me for five years that we need to like tear everything down. And like, now I'm gonna listen. So let's start tearing stuff down. So they trade Andre Drummond, they let Reggie Jackson, they you know, give Reggie Jackson a buyout give Markeith Morris a buyout um, and they, and they start over. And so Dwayne Casey is like teaching again. He's, and he seems to be enjoying it, right? Like it was tough for him. I think last year when, when you go into like, you go into last year with the expectation of like, we'll get Blake back and we'll make the playoffs again. And like very clearly it, it was shown that like that wouldn't be the case. I think it was really tough for him to kind of adjust expectations for himself and the team midstream. But now with a more clearly defined like roster that's designed to lose more games um, with a front office structure that's more explicit about um, their desire to create a culture first and win games second and, and develop players like third. Well, actually, like, w- uh, you know, create a culture first, develop player second. And like then if you win some games like by accident, like go for it. And so having less pressure on that end to be like a winning coach and. Uh, I think has been like good for him. 
Um, I don't think he gets fired. Honestly, he's got only he's got only got two more years on this deal. Um, James Edwards of the Athletic has kind of intimated that like when he finishes out his deal, he's done like being a coach in the NBA. And so I'm I'm sure if if that's the case, he's going to hold on as long as possible. And it's not like you know the team is the team is so young right now. It's not like they need their Lloyd Pierce right now. You like you wait a couple of years to find your Lloyd Pierce, to find your JB Bickerstaff, to find your Steven Silas. Um, not that the Rockets are like rebuilding right now, but but you get my drift. Um, and and so like I I think like Dwayne Casey has made the most of what he's been handed at every turn. Like, does that mean like I'm in love with what he's done like tactically? Like, no, not not really, and not always. But I think he's like a, a great person to be leading the team right now, which is like kind of similar to to Bickerstaff in a way. Only. I, I was going to ask you guys though, like, you know, because I don't watch the Cavs so closely, like Chris, like I, you know, the defense was at one point the best defense in the league. Um, I think they're, they were eighth in defensive rating before this game. And I'm sure the game tonight will knock that up a couple of pegs. Um, they're forcing turnovers like left and right, just something the Pistons broadcast harped on and something that we saw throughout the night. Um, Pistons committed a grand total of 20, no, no, no. Yeah. 22 turnovers to tonight. And like, that's, that's more than they had been committing. And so I was going to ask, is that like something like schematic on JB's end that they're doing now to, to force more turnovers or like how did, how did they turn the defense around? Uh, I think it's a little bit of personnel. I think like, like as you know, Drummond has pretty active hands. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you have Larry Nance, who's uh, I, I don't know if he is still, but was at least the league leader in steals and league leader, league leader in deflections. Um, Hmm. I but I think like there's buy-in, right? Like I, I don't think JB's scheme is like particularly like complex. I don't think they're doing anything that is like particularly creative. I just think he sort of has them playing hard and has them being particularly competitive on that end. Like Sexton and Garland fighting through screens is like a big deal for them for, for what they were on, on offense uh, or on defense. Excuse me, like Okoro. Um, you know, I don't think he's exactly like great on defense yet. He got, he's, he's still figuring some stuff out, but he knows where to be most of the time. And like, he's, he's competing and fighting and like is, is making guys work for their, for their points, even if they're ultimately scoring on him. So I think there's a thing there with him where he is, JB is like, definitely has them playing a more coherent way. They, they will like, and they're doing little wrinkles, like, they'll play zone for like one off possession and like use it to catch a team off guard when they need to kind of figure some stuff out. Like they'll, he'll do little stuff, but he's not doing anything yeah. like. And yeah. I noticed that tonight when like early in the third quarter, Pistons like turned the ball over in two straight possessions. Dwayne calls a frustration timeout, like 90 minutes in or 90 seconds into the third quarter. And they come out of the timeout and the Cavs are like trapping yep. out of that timeout. And I'm like, that's kind of brilliant because like you force another tone or you force another turnover. Dwayne's just like over there like stewing, but you can't call another one because you just called one. And like that just that's that's a little thing that I like I took note of that was actually like, you know, pretty impressive. JB, I think is just like a solid coach. I don't I I, I think like taking the jobs he had before him, um, taking put a lumping those and how we understand him is sort of unfair because they were so different than what he's being asked to do here. Oh, he had no guarantee. Compa- like he was Memphis with Memphis. Houston, and like, but he had no guarantee he was going to keep his job. Right. And the Cavs yeah. have made it clear. Like he is our coach and they have no, they've clearly they're winning now, but they've made no indications win or lose that he would have his job on the line. Like Dan Gilbert's willing to be patient and he's giving full control to Kobe and basketball decisions, which is huge, but no JB. Yeah. Like Chris said, it's not really had the most ideal situations in Memphis and Houston. So, so I think the thing with JB is like, I want to see where he levels it up from here, but I, I think he knows what bush basically what buttons to push with his personnel. Um, but like, you know, I, but I think like, when Jared Allen gets time to fully acclimate, because it's really not been that long, and maybe Drummond's elsewhere, like I, I wonder if he changes things up then because they're different players. Like, right, like Allen's probably a better is a better shot blocker, but does Drummond have more active hands and will generate more steals? Probably. Um, we we sort of know that about Dre, and he's played more minutes per game for his career than Allen ever has. And there's there's some stuff you're gonna have to figure out, but I I think he's tactically up to it, even if the stuff is a little like he's I. Like who? I don't even know who you'd say is like the best defensive creative coach in the league anymore. Like I don't know who that is, but like he's not like the like a Nick Nurse type. Like I think he's more of a like a low like a like a tighter tinkerer, like more like a like a Steve Clifford type than he is 
like a, a Nick Nurse kind of like riffing on his guitar kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like when you said like best defensive coach in the league. My my initial thought yeah. was like definitely like Nick Nurse. Yeah, just as in terms of like willingness to try stuff. Like I don't know and... if like you're gonna see a, the Cavs run a box and one. I don't. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like the like Nate Bjorkman's doing that with the Pacers. I don't know if JB is like willing to go there, but he's willing to press. He's willing to throw a zone out. Like he's definitely willing to. Yeah, he's up. willing to switch between zone and man on the fly, and that's just something that's kind of worked for the Cavs this year. Like no, JB's really. He's a defensive first coach, obviously, but maybe some pages from the grit and grind Grizzlies too. Like the cliches, like these are the heart and hustle Cavs. I think Larry Nance said that a little while ago. But um, no, JB is a good coach for this team, and it just makes you wonder what could have been if he was just hired over Bayline, who was, I guess, Bickerstaff was Altman's pick initially, and they went with Bayline because Dan Gilbert trumps all. So it's just an interesting situation, just when you think about it. Yeah. So wait, so. Tell me about Jared Allen. You guys like kind of just quietly snuck into the uh, James Harden trade, came out with a uh, future franchise center. How's that been going so far, uh, Evan? Great. I have always been a huge fan of Jared Allen, and I've always just – it's refreshing to hear when Kobe just straight up told us uh, to the meet us as in the media that like Jared Allen is a player that they've always been targeting. Um and it's just always just refreshing to hear that. And more so the fact that, like you said, he is a franchise center of the future where he kind of just locked in and said like, yeah, no, Jared Allen is in the Cavs future plans. Like that's great. But no, Jared's been good so far. He didn't have like an amazing night against Detroit. I think JB's just been, he was solid. He's, he's been consistently solid. And like we talked about this unlocked on Cavs, like Drummond was super frustrating to open the game where he was just kind of inconsistent and missing easy shots where he goes up too hard or too soft on every play. But um, no, like Allen comes in as just kind of a palate cleanser, but Alex Allen's looked really good so far. And like, I've just enjoyed his production. Chris is more of an advanced stats guy than I am. So he can really break down the nitty gritty of it. But no, like you can tell he juices the team a lot. He provides a defensive presence that the Cavs haven't really had. Like tonight he had 10 points, one board, two blocks, and he's able to contribute in many different ways for Cleveland. And he's also not what Andre Drummond did. He's, he knows who he is as a player. I asked him or somebody asked him like, what do you bring to the table? And he's like, well, I don't bring the ball up and I won't shoot threes. Cause I don't want to cause the team to lose. And that's, that's kind very of, subtle. Very, it's a very Jared. good job. Yeah. It's a very subtle jab, but um, no, the Cavs already tapped him as their franchise center of going forward, which is awesome. And I'm um, just, ex- I'm excited about the trade and Torian Prince has been no slouch either. Like he had a good night against Detroit too. And, we were talking about this a little bit on LOC. Um, he could be a trade asset for Cleveland down the line for a wing player if a team gets desperate enough. But, like, you know, they, the Cavs just kind of snuck in and took advantage of the opportunity. And Kobe Altman said, like, part of the, his goal is just to accumulate assets so that they can make trades like this. And they just traded a second-round pick, and they sent an expiring contract of a very injured player in Dante Exum. And they or they sent a first-round pick, sorry, from Milwaukee, which is going to be virtually an early second at that point, and an injured player in Dante Exum, and they get a franchise center in Jared Allen and another nice trade asset in Torian Prince, so it all just worked out. The Cavs, for what it's worth right now, are, like, worse with him on the floor, but I, I don't, like, buy that as, like, a real thing. I just kind of don't. I think it's so early. Um, like, it's 102 minutes of basketball. Like, that's not really enough for us to, like, make observations. Well, how much how much is he playing with Sexton, right? Because those, like, so those, something... are, those are the lineups that are good, according to Cleaning the Glass. Okay, those yeah, are the yeah. ones that, that yeah. are like, like holy shit, like this is this is working. Um, Colin Sexton, I'll tell you, ninety and eighty four possessions. He's played alongside Andre Drummond a lot too. Yeah, so the in the here in uh, eighty four possessions overall with Sexton on the floor, only one of those has like fifteen or more possessions. So like that, that's where we're at with this. Um, and that lineup is bad. That's the Sexton, Okoro, Osman, Nance, Jared Allen lineup. That lineup is like pretty is only like was, has been bad in that fifteen possessions. Um, overall, those lineups of Sexton are plus twenty points per hundred possessions. Yeah, that's that's, that's pretty good. Scoring up, yeah, yeah. Good. And I, I, th- but I think he's like a really good fit with what they're doing. And and one of the little things I like about him that um, even if you're giving up some passing from going with 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 him versus Dre, and I do think Drummond's just more capable making decisions, even if he's going to throw a crazy passer to a game. Like, I do think that Allen has that little like 18 foot jumper that I think he actually feels comfortable taking. And I've never like, I have to look and see how well he actually shoots it, but it feels like it's like a reliable shot for him. Um, 
I I'm, I think it was a coup to get him, frankly. And uh, the Drummond stuff's complicated and whatever, but I just think like Allen makes so much sense. And um, <laughs> I, I center is weird in the NBA because like I want them to like there to be a bunch of good ones and all kinds of stuff. But like I I do just think like. Allen is kind of like exactly what you're what you're kind of hoping for in in what you need from a guy. And I don't I don't sense from him. And I think there was like a little bit of stuff with Brooklyn like where he like wanted to start. I think there was like a little bit of that with with him and DeAndre. Um mm-hmm. but I do think that Cleveland's like I I would be surprised basically if like it's not being communicated and it's like okay like hey we you're going to come off the bench now. Drummond's here. We're going to keep the locker room as intact as possible. And next year, you're our guy. Yeah, that makes sense. I was not I was not surprised by how well he's played. He played uh, Isaiah Stewart tonight. Um, Stewart struggled mightily. That was the first time I can remember uh, Stewart looking as like ineffective without like fouling a ton as, as he's ever looked. Um, and it's just because Allen is so good at using his size like positionally he only grabbed one rebound but like the the they out rebounded the pistons uh you you look at um there was like a there's a post play where like stewart prides himself on like being able to body guys up and and defend the post really well and jared allen was just like nope i'm just gonna like cradle this ball and like flip it in over your outstretched arm because i'm like taller than you and that's how that's gonna go and so like i I'm really envious of of the Jared Allen like acquisition like that. That's the type of thing that I wish the the Pistons had been able to pull off more in in their uh, like front office escapades. You know, like while they're revamping the entire team, like you, you can't find a place for like a guy like Jared Allen. But uh, but like, I mean, they kind of pulled it off with Jeremy Grant. Like, I am not going to pretend I saw this version of Jeremy Grant coming. Um, but like in this, so this has been a total total shock to me. It's like what what do you guys expect? What do you guys see from from Jeremy Grant tonight? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Actually, I think he's good. I I love him betting on himself. Um, I I thought the story James Edwards did with him about like why he won. Part of the other reason why he wanted to sign with Detroit, I thought was was pretty interesting and insightful from him. Um, you know, obviously, I think like the role maybe matters somewhat more, but I think like wanting to him approaching it in that way, I thought was really interesting. I think he's good. I, I like, I, I, you know, it's like, it just feels like weird that he's on, he's like doing this because it's like, this team doesn't matter. And that probably says something about like how good he is in this role that this team is just sort of like, he's not raising the floor of the team very much, but he's really good. Um, you know, he, he was, he had two times where like, I thought Isaac Cora played perfect defense on him. And then it just didn't matter because he just made a better shot. Like, and that I didn't know, I like you, I didn't know he had that in his bag. Like I, I thought he was, you know, perfect with, um, with off of Jokic. Yeah. Like, and just in that role. And it's like, this is like sort of the opposite of that in a lot of ways. And I really kudos to him, kudos to him for just like making that work in a lot of ways. I, I think it's just impressive. And, you know, I, I would, I, I, I wonder if like, even like, Dwayne Casey knew this was coming, you know? Um, and I, I want to see him and Killian Hayes run 900 pick and rolls like when Killian's back. I just want a lot of that. I want to see how he handles like pick and pop and, and kind of that kind of stuff or run inverted pick and rolls. Like I just want to see weird stuff with those two because that feels like the basis of what you want your offense to be, no? No, definitely. I mean, you and I'm, I've been pretty pleased with the different ways in which they've been like willing to deploy Jeremy Grant. Like they're they're doing stuff for him that they can't do for Blake, right? Like you can't, Blake doesn't attack the basket well enough for to like run like little off ball flare screens for, but like Jeremy does. So you can run like flare screens for Jeremy and have him attack uh, off an advantage situation. Um, he's good off the catch. He drew two three point uh, fouls uh, this, this game, which was like something that I've been really tracking his free throws because he's been, he's shooting way better from the line he ever, than he ever has in his career. And like the, 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 but the volume and the rate is like kind of roughly the same as it was like on a per possession basis as it was in, in prior years. And so, but for me, in order for him to maintain like scoring efficiently, like those free throws are going to have to keep coming. And he managed that tonight, you know, 26 points on only 13 shots helped by going 10 to 10 from the free throw line. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 I do think that like Dwayne Casey, like very much did not see this coming, Evan. <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't I didn't see it coming either. And I'm a bit of a Jeremy Grant truther myself because first off, when I saw how much money he made from Detroit, I'm like, yeah, man, go get that bag. Like I totally get that because I, I don't know. I feel like he was going to get a lot less than that heading into free agency just because of his role with Denver and just kind of what he was making. And maybe like the nuggets would pay a little bit extra, but I I'm glad he's in Detroit. I'm glad he's maximizing the opportunity. Like Chris said, like the story sharing about why he came to the Pistons is really cool as well. Like, I don't know. It's refreshing to hear like some of these, not obviously the reasons are cool that we share, but it's also just nice to see like these Midwest teams like Cleveland to Detroit, who are actually able to attract very talented players and no Jeremy Grant gambled on himself and it's working out great, but I didn't expect this kind of production from him and he's just been a straight up baller. And I mean, Detroit is a little bit of a rough patch still. They're still trying to offload some pieces, but like you have Killian, you have Seku who I do want to ask you about in a second, but Jeremy is a good piece to have as well and I think he'll be just the good guy to have because like Chris says he doesn't do a lot to raise the floor necessarily but I think once Detroit starts to add more young talent like Jeremy Grant's going to be a very nice cog in the rest of this system like if let's say that the Pistons do get like the first pick and get a Cade Cunningham if you have like Cade Cunningham you have Killian Hayes let's say Seku has some growth let's say the Pistons are able to flip some other pieces let's say it's just Blake at this point they're able to get some assets for that and like you Jeremy Grant will be a nice integral piece in that as well and I liked his fit with Denver and I think him just kind of showing that he's more than what he actually was in Denver is a really nice surprise and surprising all of us and Dwayne Casey included but no he's just been having a really fun year overall yeah I think the like him showing this which is completely unexpected kind of takes the immediate pressure off of a contributing rookie next season like Cade Cunningham. I would like it to be Cade Cunningham, but that's not guaranteed. You only get a 14% shot at the number one pick. But like, you know, it, you know, when Killian comes back, it takes pressure off of Killian to to be the creator that the Pistons were kind of hoping he would be right away. And he struggled out of the gate. And that was disappointing from uh, a lot of, a lot of perspectives. You know, I had a lot of faith in Killian. Um, but like you, the the size that Jeremy has, the ability to create his own shot, the ability to kind of like offload some of the offensive burden off of guys who have been less efficient this year, like Derrick Rose and like Blake Griffin, I think has been been invaluable. And the other thing that I think is great about the Jeremy Grant acquisition is like as an example for for Seku, right? Like you can you can point to Jeremy Grant every day in practice and say like, hey, like Seku, like if you play like that you will someone will pay you if you play like that we will pay you and if you play like he does defensively especially like night in and night out like you know you will earn your minutes you will get your playing time and you won't necessarily like have to worry about anything coming up and you know to to kind of preemptively answer your question about Seku like it's been it's been interesting he hasn't played as much as I think Pistons fans wanted him to and the, the the tough thing with that was like when he did play, he honestly was not very good. But at this point in his career, he's a very like complimentary player. He's a force multiplier. And, you know, with guys like Derrick Rose, with, you know, other rookies on the floor like Sadiq Bey and like Isaiah Stewart, um, it's it's tough for him to play off of guys who either don't know how to get a guy in his position the ball or like don't show any interest in it. And so like you were left kind of wanting him to wanting Seku to dominate the ball more, but that's not what he's very good at. And so like that wasn't putting him in position to succeed. And so I've been encouraged by um, the, the Pistons are like more recently like playing him with um, even like, even like Saban Lee was like, look the two way, like 38th overall pick was like looking for Seku more than like anybody else ever has. Like we, we saw today, like, Svi hit him on uh, one of his baseline cuts and like he lost the ball out of bounds, but like it was good to see him like get the ball in that position when like normally he's just kind of standing under the basket, like waiting for somebody to see him when that stuff happens. Um, you know, and I think that as much as I like hate this, I think that that offensive involvement like fuels his defensive engagement, which is like something that's pretty typical of young dudes, but like uh, it's something that like you don't necessarily like want to see you'd like him to be more engaged defensively you'd like him to be you like him to be like Isaac Okoro right where like defense kind of fuels everything he does and he just kind of like warms his way into the offense however he can but that doesn't seem like it's the case for Seku and so like you have to get 
you have to play him with guys who are willing to get him the ball in situations that like get him an advantage. Right. And I think the, the Pistons are trying to do a better job of that now as they, you know, do things like lower Blake Griffin's minutes and, uh, you know, de-emphasize what Derrick Rose does on a night in and night out basis. Do you think a lot of it's a patience thing too? Like maybe Pistons fans are just being a little impatient with him because he was the youngest prospect in that draft class from what I remember. And I just think he needs to be brought along slowly, but no, what you said just, it makes sense because I saw a lot of that too. And I did see him play where maybe it is a lot of the young guy thing too, where they need to get him a little bit more involved when he is out there. But yeah, no, having Jeremy Grant as a teacher also helps too. We're saying like, Hey, if you play like this, or if you really pick the brain of this guy we brought in like you will have a future at this team and i don't know i just i understand the appeal of him i think he was a good pick for detroit for where they got him at but i just i think it's a fun and i also think like him and killian having that like french connection is just neat to have too but it's just i'm interested to see what is going on with him because his stats obviously just don't jump and then so i haven't like watched a lot of him so i'm like okay i kind of get an idea of it like you know your analysis is spot on it's just I'm just curious what the mentality is of Pistons fans. And it, it makes a lot of sense when you say they're kind of being a little impatient about them. No, definitely. And like, that's, that's and like to circle back to Sexton, like that's what I, that's why I think it's so important to be patient with those guys. Right. Because like, yeah. again, we had Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, like saying Colin Sexton, like sucks after like, uh, after watching him play like 20 games, like it's not going to come immediately for all these guys like you know i was i was gonna try and tie sexton and killian uh but killian hasn't been playing but like killian had a like absolutely horrendous start to the season but again like you it's when and killian's like 19 sexton was 19 when he or sexton was 18 actually when when he came into the league right because he had the weird uh the weird, i uh, believe so i'm gonna check while you keep talking yeah but yeah like it's it was way too early to to judge these dudes and i as tempting as it is especially like you know you guys understand right the you know if you don't play from march till like you know next year uh uh, uh december essentially like it's 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 really tough to be like i like i want to see these guys play i want to see these guys be good right away but you know development isn't linear and it doesn't work like that i think so often i think of like uh too many people like load up 2k and they just like play games and playing games is how you get the most vc and that's how you get better is by like putting in vc and it's like oh like you know games games are the most important thing for young dudes and like sometimes like yes like eventually you do need to translate like what you learn in practice and in the g league and in like in these side sessions like into games but like failing repeatedly in games is like not the best thing for player development and like seku was failing a lot you know we can be honest and say like seku was failing a lot initially he's playing better now and that's good but we can be honest about like where he was like earlier in the year and we can be honest and say like killian was also kind of failing and uh like you know could have used uh uh, something to to kind of you know ease him into a, a, a more like nba ready role for him before prior to the injury which like i hope doesn't affect the uh the long-term outlook of his career Mm -hmm. the other the other thing i think that people and i i it took me like maybe honestly until like this year or last year to fully like understand it and covering the league and covering the Cavs, like so much work and so much stuff is like we just don't see it and like it's hard to really get answers on what's being done and what's not um, I, it's just the reality of, of how private a lot of this ultimately can be. And I also just think like the way guys work, it's not just like, like, I think Tristan's a good example to bring up because I thought, I think by the end of the time of his time in Cleveland, he was like the leader of the locker room, but it didn't start off that way necessarily with him and Colin. And, um, I don't think Clarkson was exactly like bought into that. And I don't think Kevin was, you know, but like, I, I think especially when you, you're looking for something else, like, maybe it's a little different with Detroit because Mason like got paid well to come there and Jeremy like chose to come there and like, it's a little different, but like you do need older guys that are there. I think to help you, like I'm, I'm a big Evan, another Chris Manning cliche um, adults in the room. Like I'm all in favor of that, but it has to be guys that are willing to like actually buy into that. And it's tricky to find that. And I, I think like, that's probably something that will work in Detroit's favor. Like, I don't know what Derek's like in that, in that sense, but like, Dwayne can function in that way. And I think Jeremy theoretically can. And 
Um, you, you know, we talked about Blake, but it's like, maybe he can a little bit too. There, there's interesting stuff that we're like, I wonder if that lays the foundation. And it's also just like a, frankly, like a really big bummer that Hayes got hurt because like, that's, I imagine that's like a big reason to watch them. If you're like a, a fan, just trying to figure out what's going on there. And if he's not playing, like, and Blake's not really Blake anymore. Like, is Jeremy Grant enough to get you juice? Maybe not. Um, and I'm sure for the front office, it's, like, annoying because, like, you'd like to be able to evaluate all the, the pieces you're adding here. Like, you just need evaluation time. And some of that, obviously, is off the court and, and all that stuff, too, and, and in practices and, and, and whatnot. But this is, like, a weird year. And it's um, – you would like at least some game time to, to figure it out because, like, this stuff does come up really quickly. Like, it's nuts to me that Colin Sexton is going to be extension eligible by the end of this season. Like, we're already there. And that that's wild to me to consider, and because he feels like he just got into the league in a lot of ways, you know, um, this stuff goes by really quick, and it's it's a lot more like complicated than I think it's sort of like that. I even think I understand. I don't think any of us, unless you kind of walk that life, fully get it. But it's um it's complicated to sort through a lot of this. I think because it's just some of it we just don't know, and even the smartest like film room people on Twitter and write about it like are gonna miss stuff that that's just like okay like. It, it's impossible for them to know intent. Um, and, you know, I'm a number. I love using a lot of the numbers to sort of back to figure out what I'm if what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking I'm seeing. Never. OK, but I don't like to use them as like a um, like a end all be all. I think that's whack. Like I, I, I like to use them to try to figure out like w- if what I'm seeing is like actually sort of what's bearing out here. Um, like even that, like sometimes like it just doesn't like there's stuff that we you got to try and like figure out on the human level. that's like really hard to kind of pick at, I think, from afar too. It, may, it makes it really complicated. No, I mean, and I think you're absolutely right in that, Chris. And I think that's why we're seeing more teams like the Cavs, like the Pistons, like the Heat, like try and emphasize culture. Right. Because that's something that you you can build and will always like be in the building if you have it but like trying to build that is so so tenuous and you have to like you have to prioritize it and you have to like you know seek out these guys that are high character guys who who want to practice all the time who are willing to to play defense you have to seek out the jeremy grants and the isaac okoros you have to be able to scout those guys and you have to you know you have to be and you know sometimes you have to be willing to give up on a kevin porter jr right in order to to maintain something that you think um, will make your team better in the long run that isn't necessarily like just talent i think a lot of people right it, a, a lot of people just think of talent accumulation in a very linear sense right like if you accumulate enough talent like you will win and to a point like that that's true but the like like anything this is uh this game is about relationships it's about the the people you live with it's about the people you play the game with and so if you if you don't have that if that doesn't exist that adds another barrier at a time when like that's not something that you you really need um from like a team building perspective um i I wanted to i wanted to get you guys out of here but i did want to ask you guys before you go like do you think this Cavs team like makes the playoffs I'm, i'm asking because like if we're we're following we're following the culture we're following the timeline. The Pistons are like kind of roughly where the Cavs were like two and a half years ago. And so like if the Cavs make the playoffs, like that gives me something to look forward to in two years. Right. So do you think that's possible for this team, Chris? I think playing tournament this year is more realistic than I would have thought at the beginning of the season. I think playoffs is still like a little bit of a reach because like you just assume that like Toronto and Miami that are below the Cavs, at least last time I looked in the standings, like are going to rise up. Like I actually didn't even know that Jimmy Butler wasn't playing for the heat until today. I just somehow like missed that whole thing. Um, and he's missed like nine games in a row. And tonight was like one of the first times he got on the bench, like just to be with his teammates and stuff. So like that was, that was, you miss stuff sometimes. But um, I think playing tournaments more possible than I would have thought. Cause like the wizards are worse than I, I thought. And that's just like a sad situation. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, poor one out for Bradley Beal. Well paid, but like get somewhere where he can like actually shine on the biggest stage. Because I think that dude would kill it in the playoffs. Like I think if you get that guy and like a team that can, can like on the Sixers, just take it home, take it all home. Um, trade him for Tobias Harrison picks. Let's do it. Um, but I think it's possible. But I think next year's where like okay, like I think next year if this continues where we're going, next year is the year I think the organization will want a little more return on what they got. That's that's what I think right now, because Kobe is very private, but he did say in his presser that the one like of two we've had in, tw- in, in the last couple of months that 
it's not time to put the foot on the gas pedal yet. I think next year's the year you if this continues that you might feel a little more pressure to do so. That that that's that's my gut on it. How you feel, Evan? Uh, I think Cleveland has definitely surprised me a bit. I'm not going to thumb my nose too much at Chris, but I thought they were a bit more of a play-in tournament team heading into this year. But after the Allen and Prince trade, I feel a lot more firm on that stance. Um, Chicago being a lot worse than I thought they would be. I was a little bit wrong on the Wizards too. The Raptors, I feel, will kind of figure things out. Um, Andre Drummond. I don't know if they... Books. Yeah, possibly if they can make the trade work. Like, I mean, if the Cavs do... For all of Andre Drummond's lumps... He does bring a scoring presence for the Cavs, and the Cavs are pretty anemic offensively, so he kind of helps in that department as well. But um, maybe a sneaky eighth seed team because it's a little bit of a crap race. I mean, Orlando is just going to be kind of solid like they always are. The Bulls are disappointing me because I thought they'd be a lot better than what their record and just how their play leads on. Toronto, like I said, is going to balance things out. So, yeah, I think they'll be a play-in team. I think they might be fighting for that eighth seed. And um, it'll be interesting to say, and I know a lot of Cavs fans are hand-wringing, saying, like, well, why is this year the year they decided to compete? Why don't they just bottom out for one more year and get a lottery? Like, yo, chill. It's going to be okay. Like, I think it's everything's going to equalize and balance out in the end. The Cavs have a brutal stretch coming up after they play the Knicks on Friday. They play the Clippers and the Bucks, and they play. Well, they also play the Timberwolves. But so a couple, two more impossible wow. wins after that. Wow, but Evan, then, it's D'Angelo Russell confirmed. I think Ryan Saunders is the worst coach in the NBA. So No, Luke Walton is the worst coach in the NBA. I don't know, man. Nepotism might be the downfall of the Timberwolves before in- incompetence is the downfall of the Kings because the Kings is still somehow keep on keeping on despite the incompetency of the entire Vec ownership. But I think the Cavs are going to be okay. I think they're a lot better than I thought they would be. The defense is real. I thought it was a bit of a fluke. I think it's going to be tested for sure with some of their upcoming opponents, but They've looked pretty good. They've had a few wins against some big teams, like they beat the Nets and they've hung with the Lakers. They got embarrassed by the Celtics the other day, um, but they're starting to get better. They're starting to get healthy. Knock on wood, they stay that way. But yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm impressed with them so far, and I think they won't be a necessarily a lock for the playoffs, but more so a realistic play-in team, like Chris said. Can I ask one follow-up here before we get out of here? Yeah, go for it. Colin Sexton being this good, how much does that open this up in ways we didn't think? Like the playing tournament? Yeah. Because I think like this is impossible unless he remains this good. I th- I think he's this good. I think this is legit. Nothing nothing he's nothing he's doing looks unsustainable, right? It's not like he's shooting like fifty percent from three or like he's shooting like seventy percent at the rim or he's drawing like fifteen free throws a game like Trey Young. Like nothing about this seems like he can't keep this up. And and so like uh, if and so if he's really that good that absolutely alters the trajectory of what is capable for the Cavs this season so like yeah absolutely I think a play in tournament uh, type of situation is definitely like a realistic outcome to to shoot for like does that mean you like does that mean you like alter what you're looking for in an Andre Drummond package like no you, you're still looking for like all the future picks and like all the young talent you can get your hands on you're not looking for like I don't know like Aaron Baines helps us make the playoffs this year. So let's get Aaron Baines back from Toronto or something like that. Like, no, you, you still want what you want for Drummond. But uh, I think, you know, something that this Pistons team is really struggling with is that they're competitive in a lot of these games, but they still have only won four games this year. And it's tough. I think if you're competitive and you have the right culture and you're still like winning games, like, I think that is really important to show the young guys like, Hey, like what you're doing is working and we see the results on the court and so you keep you keep establishing that that keeps getting getting reinforced by the winning i think that's really important and that will and hopefully like that that continues and playoff success is just like the is just the next level up from that in terms of like seeing the return on your investment in terms of your your work and day in day out yeah i agree with that stance i think that's fair i think sexton really is a difference maker for these Cavs team and Les, don't worry the Pistons will be better soon, I hope, and I think a top pick in this year's draft is really going to help with that because I think they have a lot of interesting young pieces. They just got to keep building. Yeah, fade, fade for Cade. Chris, Evan, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Who normally does your outro? Who normally does the plugs? Let we that kinda, we just kind of fumble through it and we kind of wrap the show awkwardly. But Chris, you can take the reins on this one. Yeah, find uh, Lockdown Cavs wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Spotify, wherever. Um, check us out on WKYC if you want to as well, because we have uh, a bunch of video format podcasts over there. And check us out if you're the sort too. Um, SB Nation family, support SB Nation family. I know when I want piston stuff, Droid Bad Boys is pretty typically my first spot. And uh, if you want calf stuff, come over for the tour. We just added a bunch of new writers, and they're all pretty great. So uh, come check us out. And uh, join and just click Evan, Evan's Robin Hood link so he can stop tweeting it. <laughs> not gonna stop dude until i we're taking amc um, to the moon now we walk to the top to the top we're taking it to the moon and chris when i'm checking in for my mega millionaire mansion in a few weeks i'll get the last laugh you, you, you could buy us both new microphones i don't even sure. want a mansion i just want to retire comfortably that would be nice yeah, that's fair you, too you can help me retire comfortably by listening to this podcast uh the versus everybody podcast on the blue Fire podcast network Give last five stars on iTunes or else. Or else Evan will threaten you with a Robin Hood link. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll somehow find you some way. I'll work, I'll work it into a conversation. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at last chance. It's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this one on. Uh, this has been Pistons versus Everybody. And we will talk to you all next week. See you.